0: If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form.
1: Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. A proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week... We want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today,
0: we're going digital. Today, we're talking about what it looks like to create a game, to design and develop and put together a game that is specifically for. The digital space, not a game that you're, you know, it's a board game, and then you take it over and turn it into a digital version. No, no, no. We're talking about games that from the outset, from the very beginning, the, the whole mindset is I want to create a game that's a board game, but yet it lives online, maybe in a web browser on a, or on something like Tabletop Simulator, but it's specifically for digital. And we're talking to Justin Chu from Mobo Games. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey Gabe, great to be here. Yeah, Matt, really glad you're here. You know, you reached out to me a while back and uh, you were telling me about these games that you're working on, which are very much board games, right? If, if someone were to look at these games in any other space and just, just kind of, here's the components, here's the premise of the game, here's the rule book, they would go, oh, it's a board game. But at the same time, it exists inside of a web browser. And, you know, multiple pe- multiple people get onto the same web browser effectively, and then they play uh, these games that you're creating. And it's just super interesting. And I think in the uh, wonderful COVID world that we're living in, this is something very interesting to talk about right now uh, as just maybe an alternative for someone who uh, is, is thinking about, hey, I want to design a game, but maybe there's a little bit more to it. Maybe I want to have animation. Maybe I want to have some music. Maybe I want to do a little bit something different than the typical, you know, paper and and chipboard on a table. I want to go a little bit deeper, have maybe a, a different option. So I think this is something really interesting to talk about. But before we get into digital tabletop games, who are you? How'd you get into game design, all that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. All right. Thanks, Gabe. Um, so yeah, uh, for, first of all, I want to say huge fan of, of the podcast. So so great being here. Um, and yeah. So about about my story, um, I've always been you know a huge, huge fan of board games and video games growing up. Had a great kind of group. Um, it was me, my brother, and then uh, plus two of our close friends who were also brothers. And we would just play like a ton of board games. Uh, you know, we started out with like Risk, Monopoly. Um, but as we grew older, we you know, we got into more, you know, complex and, you know, fun fun games. So, so more of like uh, the modern board games. Um, Seven Wonders, I remember, was one of the kind of the big ones that kind of opened my eyes to like, wow, like, you know, look at what, you know, what board games are like now. Um, but also in in college, I I got into Magic the Gathering um, to, to the point where I would like travel to some of those bigger tournaments. I um, really enjoyed that game, and got to the point where I actually you know designed my own custom set. Uh, it was actually a, a Greek mythology themed set. Uh, you know it I, it didn't didn't turn out too much. You know I, I just kind of shared it online a bit, just just on some of the, the like some forums. Um, funnily enough, you know, uh, they did release a Greek mythology theme set not not long after that, but uh, uh, but yeah, it, it it really planted the seed for me where you know I, I was like, hey, this is something I really enjoyed. Like you know, even though I didn't you know launch it, I, I just really enjoyed that like creative process. And then, kind of on a parallel path, um, studied computer science, became a software developer, kind of started that career i um, been working, you know, been working as a software developer for about seven years, um, but I've always, you know, kind of had a goal of starting my own business. And, and that's something I've you know, spent a lot of time researching and kind of, you know, learning about. And as part of that, you know, I, I tried to always have side projects going on on the side. Um, and in choosing, you know, what side project I wanted to work on, you know, that was almost like a philosophical, you know, decision. Um, it's like okay what what do I want to make type of thing and and ultimately I landed on like hey what's something I would be motivated to work on you know on nights and weekends you know in in my spare time and uh, i i came I came up with the idea to to make a digital game like that that's kind of what my dream job would be you know if I made it and i you know I was uh, financially independent and whatnot um and kind of Around that same time, my friend showed me uh, Jackbox games. Uh, it was actually Drawful; they're they're kind of drawing like Pictionary style game, and I was just super impressed with the the innovation of that. So, so for those who you know aren't familiar with Jackbox, it's they're party games that you can buy on like Steam or or, or PlayStation, and uh, people can uh, join join games using their mobile phones, just a just a phone browser, and they can you know play these 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 party games, and they're they're really fun. Um, I'm a big fan of those and I was just impressed with how like low friction it was to, to get in and play a digital game like that. Um, and I also found myself wanting kind of more of a strategy focused game and also, you know, games that are maybe more portable, like you didn't need that big TV. So that's, that's kind of what was the inspiration for me to start, you know, mobile games and, and start building digital games as part of that um and it's been yeah it's 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 something I've worked on you know over the past it's been about four years now kind of on and off but uh yeah yeah that's kind of what got me into it
0: very cool and so as we get into the topic let's get a good working definition like I said in the intro we're not talking about games that exist as normal whatever you want to call them board games or tabletop games and then you're porting it over and turning it into a digital version that's not what we're saying we're saying from the very beginning the idea is that this game will be a board game and it's going to work. The mechanisms, the way the game plays, all that will be a board game, but it's going to exist in a digital space. And so like, what what exactly is that? What does that mean? What are some really good uh, examples for people to kind of understand what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, no, that is that is a great question. And I think, um, let's see, how, would, how, how should I phrase this? Um, I think th- there's such a wide span of, you know, what, what is a you know digital tabletop it's 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 almost vague you know in a sense and i think what often comes to mind is you know a digital version of of a board game you know games like you know scythe have have some really nice ports into the digital medium and then there's also video games you know with board game elements uh you know like you know mario party is maybe the most obvious example of that and then there's also like a, a huge growing industry of uh, like digital card games, like Hearthstone and and Magic Arena, and and so forth. And then and then even on top of that, there's a you know a whole a whole industry of like tabletop simulation. You know now with tabletop simulator, Tabletopia, etc. Um, but but one key difference is um, where, where I guess my my games, and I haven't seen a ton that that quite hit that same frame although I, there are some I have come across but but kind of building a game a digital game for board game players kind of specifically and really marketed that way um, but with a with a uh, digital first mentality which which allows for I think some some cool unique mechanics that, that can crop out of that um, I hope yeah hopefully that that answers your question
0: yeah okay and so tell me why why do you want to create Games like this, why not just make a traditional, you know, paper and, and chipboard and cardstock and have some nice plastic miniatures? Why not just make a normal board game? Why would you travel down this digital road?
2: Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it pertains to my my background with software. Um, that you know, software is is you know often talked about as like you know almost zero marginal cost. It's it's like you write it once and you can just you know copy it to everyone type of thing and uh in kind of you know following the the journey of a lot of people you know especially you know through your podcast of making these awesome games the kind of obstacles of you know production cost shipping and stuff like that uh it, it just sounds it, it's it's a lot of work and, and and you know i i i totally understand that and and that's kind of you know i want to leverage my skills as you know a software developer to um kind of take advantage of that scalability and and the fact that you know it can reach so many people in such a Inexpensive way, um, so so yeah, it, it was really wanting to kind of take advantage of my my kind of combine my interests of you know building software and also uh, designing uh, board games.
0: Yeah, I think scalability is a huge pro, a huge positive when it comes to these kinds of games, because, you know, if I do a, a traditional board game, I'm going to print a couple thousand copies, maybe 5,000, maybe 10,000 if I really believe in the game, and maybe I had a really good Kickstarter, but that's, I mean, that's a, a natural ceiling. I can only sell that game to 10,000 people or 2,000 people, depending on the print run, but when it's a digital game, the, the number of potential customers is the population of the world. I mean, it's, it's people who have access to the internet, have access to being able to download uh, this game, and so all of a sudden, I have a lot of bigger customer base. And so I think that's a, a really interesting thing to think about. But now you mentioned your skill set. What what do people need to know? What kind of knowledge does someone need to have to be able to create a, a digital a tabletop game? Like what kind of software language understanding do they have? What kind of uh, background or training or certification? Anything education-wise that someone listening to this podcast, you know, that you could tell them Hey, well, you need to learn this, or maybe you don't need to learn anything. Maybe there's, you know, some ways to kind of get in there without much uh, background. So tell me that, like, what do you need to know? What kind of skill set do you need to have going in?
2: Yeah, um, there's a lot of different routes I think someone could take if they wanted to kind of, you know, build a, a digital tabletop game. And it kind of depends on kind of the vision that that you have for what kind of game you want for myself, like I've built, you know, all of my mobile games, uh, for the web that kind of leveraged, you know, some of the technologies I already knew. So, you know, it's just JavaScript, CSS, HTML, essentially, um, which is, you know, super, super valuable skills to have, uh, beyond game design. But, uh, so it's totally doable to build like web, web games. Um, and I've seen a lot of You know, some people kind of do hobbyists like side projects where they build like a you know a really simple web version of a of a party game they like or something like that. I've seen a lot of those, and and I think there's a lot of really good tutorials um, out there for that. There also are some um, some like frameworks you can you can use, um, uh, or or I guess game engines. So a lot of the more you know high uh, high, higher production you know cost uh, digital tabletop games are generally going to be made with a game engine like Unity or or Unreal, perhaps, um, and, and those are huge, you know, growing tools. Um, and there's actually a lot of really good tutorials online for that. So um, that that's definitely one way to to kind of jump in there. Um, that being said, though, you know, if you if you don't have you know a strong like technical background, if you you haven't taken programming classes, it it'll be pretty tough, I think, to to jump straight in, you know, to to building games with those tools. So honestly, like you know, the, the the simplest way to to get the foot in the door, I would recommend like you know, learning basic web programming classes and kind of, I guess, see if if that's something that interests you. You know, because programming is really not for everyone. That's that's something I've seen just over my you know my my course, uh, to, you know, in, in classes or or whatnot. Um, and if if programming is not for you, then you know th- that that doesn't mean you can't make a digital game. There's you know, there's tons of great. Uh, like freelance sites to, to find like people to work on, work on games. There's also a bunch of um, studios out there who kind of specialize in making digital versions of board games and stuff like that. So, you know, reaching out to, to people there, um, talking to some of those studios is definitely an option someone could do as well. That being said, like it, it, it is, I, I could totally see it being daunting of like, Hey, like, how much is it going to cost to build this? And, you know, there. It's kind kind of like you know, for me, I don't know much about cars, but I'm always like you know talking to a mechanic. There is that kind of like, hey, like I don't know, you know, how much I can, you know, it's hard to fully understand, you know, the, the the quotes and and stuff like that. So that that could be tricky. I think it helps a lot to have someone with a you know a strong technical background to kind of be a advisor, and that's something you know I I encourage you know if people are interested, I'm happy to 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 if people want to message me you know separately, like I'm happy to to give some advice there as well right
0: now at the same time i feel like now it's easier maybe than ever before to find a, a boot camp you know an online boot camp that will teach you different programming languages or help you understand css or html or java or any of these kinds of things i have got a friend here at the school who is a uh, history no he's a science a science teacher and on the side he's been doing this uh, online course and he's been learning how to basically build websites and learning html and all these things and He's, his ultimate goal is to turn that into a side hustle where he can supplement his teacher income by also building websites and doing HTML projects, you know, for other people. And it's one of those things. Like, if you want to learn how to do this, the options are there. You know, the, the courses, the online uh, applications, and, and different things are available. And so, if this is something you want to get into, I, I would, I would suggest, I would encourage you. If you're listening to this, you're like, man, this be kind of cool. Uh, to not be discouraged, to not feel, uh, you know, like this is some overwhelming, daunting thing. It's just like anything else. Any other skill you want to learn. One step at a time, you find some people who know what they're talking about, who know how to do it uh, and probably pay them a little bit of money uh, to teach you how. Right. Whether it's through an online course or, you know, I think what he's doing, my friend, uh, he's got it's like an online thing where you go through the different lessons. And then he has like X number of hours a week that he can talk to a mentor face to face, I think, through Zoom or something like that. And they can work through different issues that he's having or problems or, or obstacles he's running into or learning how to make the code more efficient, learning how to do this big thing but in less space you know, and so the options are there. So if this is something that you're listening to, you're like, Oh, it'd just be kind of cool. Uh, it's out there. I, I think it's available. Don't be discouraged. Or like you were saying, just find a friend who, who knows how to do this stuff and uh, partner up with them. You know, you design the game, they design the code and uh, everybody works, you know, works together. That's also, I guess, uh, an, an opportunity. And so yeah. what else, what are some of the other pros, uh, for designing games in this, in this way?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we talked about scalability. That's definitely a, a huge part of it. Um, Another thing that you know maybe more more recent times have made more obvious to me is uh, being able to play the games over you know like video chat or kind of remotely, um, which which was has been a huge uh, kind of pro of kind of playtesting you know uh, my games, and also um, I think another big thing that you really can't do as as much with uh, like a physical board game is taking like a iterative approach to to the development of the game, so. I mean, I'm sure most people are familiar, like a lot of games on Steam or a lot of video games go into like beta or like early access. And, and that's something I, I was able to take advantage with with, uh, with my games is I did uh, actually back in April, um, like, a, like a beta, a, a small beta launch of that. And that was able to allow me to get some user feedback and kind of adjust uh, the game design and, and uh, you know test the servers and stuff like that. But, but really test your, fine tune your game design. Another thing I think uh, is is kind of yeah building those digital first mechanics. You can really get some unique gameplay mechanics that, that allow you to you know if you're if you're comparing your game against other board games, you can really stand out and be like hey this is not something I've seen before in, in, in other games. And and because of uh, taking advantage of that digital medium, you can you can really set yourself apart. I think.
0: Yeah, I think Hearthstone is a really good example of this mm-hmm. because Hearthstone is able to do some really cool things that you wouldn't be able to do in Magic the Gathering either because of the bookkeeping that would be involved, like it's just maybe a little bit too much math or, you know, the random percentages or things you can do because it is a digital game. And at the same time, it, it feels like a card game. It feels like Magic the Gathering, you know, but but you've got a lot of other cool things going on underneath the hood because, you know, the back end, the programming, the algorithms and, and all that can take care of a lot of things that maybe you know player sitting there at the table having to do it mentally wouldn't be able to handle quite as well. And so I think that's a, a huge uh, advantage in, in thinking through a digital first game, you know. Tell me a little bit more. Let's, let's dive a little bit more into some examples. Maybe Hearthstone is one that you enjoy, or, or some some others that are out there. Uh, give me give me some reasons why these games work really well because they have been designed as digital first games.
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, I think Hearthstone is. It it was a pretty eye opening experience for me when I when I first played with it, and and it, especially coming from Magic the Gathering, I, like one one of the things that they do really really well, I think, is like you can play an effect that impacts one of the cards uh and then that card can go back in your deck and, and in magic like if anything leaves the battlefield it like you know loses all kind of um additive effects but in hearthstone it, it sticks with that card in in the deck and, and it's like wow like you know you it really opens the doors of you know what's possible and, and yeah i kind of categorize those as like dynamic mechanics that you can do with the digital medium so things like stats or traits of a a card or like a unit like changing over time and kind of you know they become more powerful or something like that or or they could you know become weaker and i think that's that's a really cool thing that you can't do very uh seamlessly in a like a physical um game and then another one that i think is really cool and video i think video games do this really well and i haven't yet seen it and it's something i'm trying to do with you know one of one of my games but uh, incorporating procedural generation so so what that really is, is like, um, I think some games that do it well, um, there's a game called Path of Exile, and and basically the the maps are procedurally generated. So each time you play it, like the enemies are a little bit different or, you know, it's not going to be the same thing every time. Um, I think there's a whole video game kind of uh, genre, like roguelike games really take advantage of that. Um, and really what what it does is it just makes it a lot more dynamic and uh it adds replay value and it's like uh it, it it just adds you know some layers to it that that you can't get with a physical game um i think some other areas where where you can take advantage of the digital medium um i think things like uh well hidden information like hidden roles hidden movements stuff like that you know that's definitely there in you know physical games but i think with a digital medium you can actually kind of um, remove some of the more maybe tedious parts of it i don't know for in my play group, at least, you know, playing a game like Avalon or something like that, I'm usually the one who who does the kind of, I, I call it proctoring, um, where everyone has to put their head down and stuff. It, it, it really appeals to me like, hey, like what if we could just skip that step and, you know, there's no chance for error and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. It reminds me of the old school version of Scotland Yard came with this, I think it was green. It was a green visor for <laughs> the player that was trying to escape Right, the, the fugitive, they would wear this visor so that they could look at the board and look at exactly where their person is, their little character, without the other players being able to see their eyes. Right, to you know, because other players just watch where you're looking and they go, "Oh, okay, I think he's over here in this this region where he's staring and trying to figure out where you know where to go <laughs> next." And so you would wear this visor to keep people from knowing where you were, where you were looking, right? Otherwise you'd have to like stare at every part of the board an equal amount of time to keep them from, you know, <laughs> being able to guess where you were. And so doing something in the digital space where all of a sudden players can't see my eyes. They don't know what part of the board I'm looking at. They don't know where I'm zooming in or zooming out or moving over. You know, it it, it does create a very interesting way to play the game that doesn't require me to wear a silly green visor. And so yeah, there's definitely some things that appeal about doing it this way.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and I think even yeah to to add on like a a couple other things is, is like um, the pandemic le- legacy. Um, those legacy type games are kind of like campaigns and stuff like that. You can you can do a lot more with like saving state and uh, kind of it. It kind of builds upon kind of the dynamic mechanics and like changing you know what a, what a card is and, and stuff like that. As well as, you know, something else that, that I've tried incorporating in, in some of my games is kind of some, you know, stats or like rewards, sorry, not rewards, but awards, like at the end of the game. Um, like, for example, like, oh, like, you know, this this person, you know, did, did this action the most, you know, during the game or something like that. You can kind of do some data driven things that you, you don't have access to with a physical game.
0: Right, and I guess you could also you know if if this kind of game is on an iPad, you know you could have other people sitting around a table, but now you're playing the game on an iPad, and it remembers where you left off. Right, you don't have to yeah. box it back up or or take yeah. a picture of the game. I've had to do it with so many games. All we right, well, going <laughs> to take a picture of the state that the game is in, and then when we play again, we'll just set it up based on the picture. You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And I, if I remember right, Microsoft, I saw this years ago. This is probably I don't know seven eight years ago, maybe m- longer. Uh, they were creating these tables where the entire Uh, tabletop was one big screen effectively and one big touchscreen. And -hmm. it was such a cool thing and so many interesting applications and obviously games would fit right into that and being able to kind of have a game on this massive touchscreen that saves your, your campaign that, Uh, you know, it's easy to set up. It's one, you click one button and now the game's set up. You don't have to go through the 20 minutes of putting out the cards and shuffling and putting this over there and make sure the board's easy to reach. Like you don't have to deal with that. And so I feel like as the, as the future becomes now, you know, as more opportunities with touchscreens and, and technology become available, this is an interesting thing to think about and to design around and so have you thought about that as far as like putting games on an ipad that it's digital but at the same time we're in the same room or you know as, as technology progresses have you thought more about how your games can be implemented
2: yeah absolutely I, funnily enough like with with mobile games like you know since i started this you know pre pre uh you know everything being virtual um i actually the the what what spawned my idea was i would often go to you know bars and i would you know, my my friends would be like, hey, bring some games, and I would <laughs> carry around a giant bag of board games, and I, you know, feel a little bit kind of uh, uncomfortable bringing like a giant bag of board games because I, I like to have options. Um, so, a, a big appeal was like, hey, like in those type of settings, I could just bring my phone, and everyone has their phone, and we could just you know play these games. So, so actually, with with mobile games, like the main intent, the original intention was to to, to be played in person, uh, and it just kind of expands your. Uh, board game collection even if you're not at your house um, because yeah a lot of the the groups i would be playing with were more kind of like it was like you know couples you know like maybe a group of six and you know half of the group you know was into more kind of traditional board games and the other half were kind of not as not as in into board games so it, it kind of aims to to bridge those gaps um and i have found uh with, with my games like they do work well you know uh in person still, like that's kind of how I've designed it. So um, it definitely works in that medium. And ah, sorry, I I lost my train of thought a little bit.
0: Oh, no worries. But I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, as a teacher, how could I use something like this in the classroom, right? Where, you know, I have students. All right, guys, get out your phones. You want to get on them anyway. So here's an opportunity and we're going to play a game. And uh, here's the URL, you know, Mm because like your games, they Mm -hmm. all exist inside a web browser. And uh, we're going to go to this URL and we're going to play a game. And, uh, you know, for a game to, to be able to work with a big group of people that are in the same room, uh, it could be a lot of fun. It'd be very interesting, you know. Split people up into teams, and you know this side of the room is blue, and this side of the room is red, and and we're going to do some kind of thing. You know, your game Siege of the Castle uh, has mm-hmm. this very like diplomacy kind of vibe to it—a lighthearted diplomacy. You're not going to lose your friendships <laughs> playing your game, uh, as opposed to diplomacy, which has probably ended more friendships than any other game on the planet. Maybe maybe more than all other games combined, probably. honestly. <laughs> uh, and so it's really interesting to think through the capabilities and the possibilities of now being able to do that. You know, I played lots lots of board games in my classes, uh, but it's difficult because it's hard to find a game that plays with 25 people, uh, especially, you know, the components necessary. Like how many, that's a ton of cards, depending on the game you're playing. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden in the digital space, that's not a barrier. And so I think as as gamification uh, kind of expands, as people figure out more cool ways to bring games into the classroom, this is an opportunity. Uh, to do that in some really interesting ways that that are engaging. That's fun. It doesn't feel like just an educational game, right? All right, guys, we're going to do a trivia game and see who gets the answer. Right. Like there's so much more uh, possibilities that you can do. So have you thought any about like really big group games? I know your games, they go up to like six people or maybe more, Mm -hmm. Uh, but then even bigger than that, have you thought about how you could implement, you know, these kinds of games with big groups, maybe in a classroom?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. So, so with, with my, you know, games that I've had, you know, I have quite a few ideas floating in my head. Siege to the Castle definitely like hitting at least the, the 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 six player, you know, limit is is something that I definitely wanted to, to go for because there's not a ton of, you know, six player games I, I would say. Um but but actually like um you know my original inspiration came from Jackbox. So originally I was thinking through a lot of party party type games. Um and one of the one of the first like prototypes I built was a game kind of similar to a, kind of a mix of a Jackbox quiplash and um, a game of things. And that one, you know, could easily scale up to, to 10 players. Um, although, you know, at that point you do kind of run into, you know, if you're limiting yourself to just the phone screen, you have to think really creatively on like, okay, how am I going to fit all of, you know, how is the game state going to be represented or, you know, how, how is all of that content going to fit on the screen? If there's, you know, 12 players that you need to like, be aware of at least or something like that. So it's something I p- definitely plan on uh, exploring more. Um, I-, I do want to see like, okay, are strategy games kind of the, the niche that are going to be more successful for these type of games, or, you know, is it more kind of party type games that, that end up, you know, being more successful. So, so I intend to kind of play with both. Um, but yeah, I would say the biggest limiting factor would be like fitting things on the phone screen because I've opted to kind of step away from that, like, you know, shared TV, experience that jackbox has um yeah so so that yeah
0: yeah now one thing that just kind of popped in my head is a a potential you know there's so many board games or card games that do really really well and so then about a year later two years later the dice version will come out right and so Mm -hmm. it's the the really popular game the dice game and so i was sitting there thinking like what if designers and developers and publishers they thought through okay here is that popular game the digital version, but it's not like a port of the board game just over in a digital space and it's the exact same game, but now you move you know your pawns around with your mouse. But now it's like a digital version. So in the same way you would create the roll and write version of a game or a dice version of a game, what does it look like to create the digital version of a game that kind of maybe scales down the mechanisms or changes the gameplay in some way, kind of like a dice game does, right? So mm-hmm. the dice game is typically a much simpler version of the bigger board game. What does that look like to turn that into a, a digital only type game, a digital first type game for that bigger game? That's, that's just an interesting thing that I, I'm hoping publishers start thinking about. Like how do we kind of bridge that gap? Cause one, like we were saying earlier, the margins are really good when you can sell to potentially a billion people. Like that's just your, all of a sudden your customer base, you know, and then you don't have to pay for manufacturing costs. You don't have to wait on a bunch of containers to ship from China or wherever you're printing the games. You don't have to uh, deal with all the paper and and the environmental costs of these things. Like there's a lot of interesting things to think about as a publisher when it comes to uh, this new medium, especially in a world where, you know, over the last however many months, you know, we've been sitting at home and under lockdowns and all these kinds of things where, you know, these kinds of games maybe would have done really, really well had publishers been positioned and already had these things uh, more widely available. And so that's something else that I think could be interesting. Have you thought anything about that? Like, have you ever wanted to take your favorite board game and then kind of turn it into the digital uh, version? Have you thought anything on those lines? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, that's that's a super interesting idea. I, have, I haven't quite thought about it to the full extent of like taking like, you know, a uh one of my favorite board games and exactly kind of translating. But I think that's a, I, I've seen some people doing that. So I've seen some apps that are kind of like, um, there, there, yeah, there's a game to crypto that's out and, and there's someone I connected with, you know, online who's building, you know, a, a similar game, uh, but it's like a digital focused version of that. So, so I, I have seen stuff like that. Um, but I think it would be really interesting and, and super effective for, um, publishers. Yeah. To, 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 treat it as a completely not a completely different game but like a digital version of it yeah because you could really you're not limited to that original kind of um design and you can build it to the medium that you're publishing and i could almost see like growth from both sides of like you know getting more people who like the physical game and getting them more into hey like you know these digital tabletop games really do add a a layer that i that I don't get with my physical games just as well as you could get like, Hey, more casual gamers or more people who like video games into like, Hey, ooh, now I want to check out the physical version, something like that. So you can kind of bring, bring together both, both markets, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's go back uh, and, and talk a little bit more about things to think about from the money side of things. As far as costs, what are the things that someone would just need to be aware of that it's going to, going to cost you in the creation of one of these games?
2: Yeah, that so that's something I've spent a lot of time uh thinking about cuz um just just in you know my 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 few years working on you know mobile games is I've gone through many ideas of like uh oh, how do, how do I how do I price these games? Um so, so I can just kind of do a rundown of like the different types of digital games that I've seen at least. Um at the top I would say there's like m- like the mobile app game. So so you'll see like I know you can buy like Carcassonne on on uh, the iOS App Store, or something like that. And one one thing to really consider with with that though is like once you hit that like mobile app or mobile game kind of market, it's extremely competitive. There's so many games out there, and also like it's almost a race to the bottom in terms of uh, pricing. And in a lot of cases, you have to go with like a you know completely free to play model with like uh, in app purchases to even like you know get your foot in the door, because a lot of people just ignore you know game or apps that you have to. Um, purchase to, to try so that's that's one you know popular one but some something to consider um there's also just straight up digital purchases so that would be more like uh like you see a lot of digital games on on steam that that you can just outright buy and that's a kind of a more straightforward that that probably models the um the like physical board game uh pricing, you know, as 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 closely as possible. Although, you know, usually there's there's gonna be quite a, a discount from for the digital version just because there's not you know not materials that you have to worry about. And then there's also these uh this growing like uh digital board game platforms, things like tabletop simulator, which I believe you, you buy a tabletop simulator and then you can, you know, play whatever games that are loaded in there and it's very free form. There's no rule enforcement. And then there's Tabletopia and board game arena, which I've seen where there's like free to play games, but also you can do a premium subscription to unlock you know other games. And I I believe they partner with publishers to get their games on their platform, and then uh, it kind of kind of works that way. I, I you know I'm not sure exactly how the the money you know exchanges hands there, but uh, it's a pretty interesting model as well. But for me, I'm a little bit kind of reluctant around you know subscription based gaming, like just as a consumer myself. I'm not you know I much. Prefer the idea of like, hey, I, you know, I'll give you twenty dollars for this game that I can, you know, have in my library, whether it's digital or physical. So that's something I, I tended to to avoid, you know, with my games. So, so for mobile games, what I ultimately uh, first, I, I guess, I, I kind of played with the idea of like, oh, like, what if you know, you know, there's like tokens, and you, you know, you acquire tokens, and then you use those to like play games, almost like an arcade. Very quickly, I, I moved off of that. I don't think that's a a, a great model. Um, and then I kind of attached on to you know kind of how Jackbox has it where they actually bundle like five party games together and they they sell it as like a pack. There, um, so I think that's a pretty um, effective model just because like Jackbox has been really su- successful. Um, so it's something that you could kind of you know tack on to or, or follow in in their footsteps. But what I ultimately landed on was uh, I, I have my game split so it's a three to six player game and for one to or sort of for 3 to 4 players it's free to play. So that that allows the game to kind of grow and you know allows a potential for virality of just like it, it's spreading and people trying like hey check this out. Especially because like you know mobile games is so new and so fresh siege of the castle is a game you know that just got launched there's not a ton of kind of history there. Um, so I think I want to take advantage of okay like how can this grow kind of more organically? And then uh, if you want to purchase the full game then um, you would purchase that and then you would be able to play for the full three to six players. Uh, so that, that's my approach to the business model there. I, I, think, uh, over time, like what, what I'll look to do is kind of like add expansions or, you know, add ons like that. And I think that could be a pretty effective model. And I do really want to kind of keep away from the, the subscription type type model, just, just kind of as a perf- personal preference, I think.
0: Gotcha. And now when it comes to the cost of production, what are things that someone needs to to be aware of as far as like, how much is it going to cost me to make one of these games? What are the, the, maybe the hidden costs that are involved that maybe people don't think about? And also just the the very obvious costs as far as, well, you're going to have to pay for art and graphic design just like you would for anything else. But then there's also these other things to keep in mind that are going to cost you money.
2: Yeah. Um, so So we've talked a lot about just how like scalable and like the, low marginal cost for each each copy of the game which you know sounds like a you know a really nice scenario but there is definitely a a downside to it and and so on the flip side you know you don't have that kind of incremental like production cost of each unit but what you do have is a much higher upfront cost and also the development time and i think one thing that kind of uh you know i i've i've thought about a lot is like you know with a physical board game you know you have an idea of like oh this this you know, cool new mechanic I want to try out and play test is really, it can be really straightforward, right? You can be really kind of practical with, um, how you test that out. You just like, Hey, I'll just use this, um, like this dice to represent, you know, this, this new mechanic or something like that. But with the the digital um, platform, I actually have to, you know, I have to decide that, okay, is this actually gonna be worthwhile for me to implement? And if so, then, uh, i'll spend you know a week or two kind of implementing that that new mechanic which has happened with with siege the castle so what i something i want to try out in kind of my future games is building out like a physical um like a physical you know prototype of the game and then allow kind of quicker iteration in the beginning and then and then kind of uh, allowing that iterative development process to take over after because that it, it can really slow things down and kind of slows down your inspiration as you're as you're trying to design the game and stuff like that so that's definitely one thing to consider um, i think um, in addition to that things that you just don't have to worry about with the physical game things like sound animation and effects like that um, you, you have to think through that that design process which was something you know wasn't fully on my radar but as i started to you know play tested more i was like, oh. It, the game just wasn't as engaging without, you know, some animations and and things to draw in, in the players because, you know, one thing that those uh, mobile apps really do well is like, there's just tons of kind of effects and animations that, that just make it feel, you know, more fun. And and I think that helps to make up for that kind of loss of the, the tactile feel because, you know, the satisfaction you get from, you know, moving pieces, at least you can uh, kind of maybe cover up with, with some fancy animations and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you're going to have to do that for the game to really stand out and and to feel like more of a game. Otherwise, it's just text on a page and then it kind of flashes over and now there's some new text, okay. Okay. And, and so, yeah, you really need to lean into a phone or an iPad or computer's capability as far as the sound, as far as on a phone, you can make the thing buzz, you know? So when, when combat happens or when a decision gets made, then the phone buzzes and makes a noise and you see this explosion or you see some, something move around on the screen, I think you definitely need to lean into the visuals uh, and, and the sounds uh, and the feeling, Yeah, <laughs> all, all, all those things, all the sensory things that you can uh, as much as possible to really you know make the game feel, more more tactile uh, than it is and then what are are some other things to think about as far as as far as that right so anything else i'm I'm missing that really uh, a person a developer can lean into that is capable on a mobile device or on a computer that you can't actually do in the board game
2: something that i think is really interesting that that i found in in kind of developing these games is um that that you absolutely can't do with with physical or much harder to to do with with a physical um game so so if you imagine like playtesting a a digital game what actually happens though you know if i guess if you implement it this way is like you 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 have a history of the the game history um and like the game states and like how the turns play it out and stuff like that and that's something i intentionally kind of incorporated and, you know, I, I did mention you could have things like, you know, awards, you know, based off of that at the end of the game. That, that, that's great. And then another thing is like, oh, you could have stats so you could see like, hey, like, you know, you could do almost like a win percentage or something if, if you wanted. But something that I hadn't realized until I kind of got into to building my games is you can actually study those that, that game state. So as people, you know, like have been playing the game during our beta period and stuff like that, I was able to like go in and look at the actual game state in the database and kind of study like oh like like oh this this game was really close and then I would go through and kind of look through how the turns rolled out and stuff like that and I mean one really obvious example is like you can see like oh are the games close because because uh, a game like Siege of the Castle um, there's not like a huge kind of comeback mechanic to it so if every game is like a complete blowout that either means like a, you know, the game is not well balanced. I need to go and tweak some of that or, or see like maybe the strategy isn't uh, like easy to pick up, you know, something like that. So I, I thought that was really interesting. And, and that's not something that, you know, a, a physical board game would, it would be very easy to do. Like, I, I think, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of like note-taking that you could do to kind of like extract those thoughts, but um, some, something I've kind of, um, Actually, something I, I worked on with, with my brother that he's he's kind of a, like in data science stuff like that was uh, you can run like simulations of the game as well and kind of hey like you know write a really simple AI and then you can kind of study like hey how 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 many turns you know per round on average do, do we predict something like that and kind of turn the do- knobs of um, how you want the game to ultimately be and that actually uh, in in a really similar like really similar to that. Uh, Something that I incorporated with with uh, Mobo Games, and I think is something you know really that helps kind of bridge the gap from physical to to digital is just allowing like customization of the rules. Uh, th- there's two huge benefits to that. One is um, just from a playtesting standpoint, like I didn't have to balance the game you know perfectly in order to to um, start playtesting it. I could you know playtest it you know after one session and then like change the the numbers really quick so you can like affect how many, how much gold you get for a certain action? You can you can tweak that on the fly, and so not only is that great from like a development and playtesting standpoint, but but also from the user, like something you you can lose in some video games is just a lack of, like I guess I think of like okay, back you know, roll it back when I'm like you know eight years old and playing Monopoly, we we would play with like not the traditional set of rules, there's like the house rules, something like that. So so that's something I've tried to incorporate with with mobile games is, um, hey, you can customize it and 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 balance it, you know, to, to what you're, what you think is fun and stuff like that. And, and that I think recaptures some of the kind of the, the feel of a, of a board game, I think.
0: Yeah. And this is a place where digital games have a tremendous advantage over traditional, you know, paper chipboard cardstock games in that you can go in and change the game after it's released if you need to, right? So, you, you know, you release the game, All of a sudden, a thousand people have played it and you realize that Team A is a little overpowered. And so you can go in there, change the code a little bit, tweak some numbers, turn some dials, turn some knobs, and all of a sudden things are more balanced. Where in a board game, hey, Team A is just going to be the better team until you do the second edition, until you do a reprint and put other games out into the world. And so that's that's a huge advantage that these things have, and you can go in and fix things. Maybe there's a typo on some cards or a typo in some of the, the the UI or something like that. Well, you just go in and you delete the the misspelled word and you put in the right spelled word, and you don't have to worry about it. And then you don't have to worry about people on yeah. Board Game Geek telling you how <laughs> terrible you are at spelling or whatever it is. Uh, and I think this is also super helpful if you're a, a a publisher that maybe English is not your native language or whatever you're publishing in. Well, if that's not your native language, well, you can just go in and uh, fix your grammar as you uh, as you need to. But going back to something you said a minute ago, I think it's really cool, is you can have a leaderboard where the game remembers... The wins and losses. you know, I think that's an interesting uh, thing that you could have, and it pops up every time the, the app loads or the, the game loads. It says, you know, Bob has won this game ten times and Susan's won it eight, and, and Steve, he's only won twice because he's not very good, right? But it pops up and you kind of remembers, and maybe you don't want it to. So I guess that depends on the person and how good you are at the game if you want it to have a leaderboard. Uh, but there's so many interesting things you could have. And it, even as a publisher where maybe all of a sudden you create these incentives for people to, to play the game, right? So you know, I can track as a publisher, assuming the game is somehow connected to the internet and, and going into a database where I can kind of keep track of these things. Where if someone gets fifty victories or something like that, well, maybe it sends them an email or sends them a notification inside the the game and says, "Hey, go to this URL and, and get your free gift. Get ten percent off your next purchase in my online store. Or here's a free, you know, five dollars to go buy your coffee at Starbucks. Congratulations for being such an awesome player at this game." Like all of a sudden, you can do some really really cool things that just aren't possible in a, a normal uh, board game. And so anything else that you kind of thought about or, or for ways maybe the, for publishers or developers to interact with the players, you know, in some interesting ways that you couldn't do if the game's just made out of paper?
2: Yeah, so I, so I think there there are a, a couple things that can really take advantage, like, yeah, outside of gameplay. And um, I think, uh, yeah, like, you know, things like leaderboards and stuff like that and, and building out incentives and, and stuff like that is a really cool way to kind of have more, High touch kind of interaction with your customers, whereas you know with a board game company, it's like, like, hey, the the game's out there, and then there's really not as much direct interaction, you know, after that. So, um, I, I think I think you mentioned this in one of your your, your past um, podcasts, but. Uh, like the the notion of kind of a comp like online competition or something like that so like online capabilities is something that could definitely be taken advantage of um not something I've really kind of encroached with with mogo games just because of you know we're, we're pretty small and you know just starting out but I think with some of the bigger companies like building out you know maybe, maybe even like a like an esports type uh, type uh feel you know I, I don't know how well that would translate to, to board games but I think that th- there are I've seen in, in forums like just a lot of people who are like hey I really want to play this game but you know it's not always convenient to to play with you know your play group or something like that so I think that's something that could be you know really really big for for companies to to, to handle the other thing I think is like rules and tutorials uh ch- like time to value is is a, is a term that's talked about in in software but it's like how does how quickly can a user like on board and you know get to the value which is like hey having fun playing this game and I think with a, a digital medium, you can actually, you can really change it, you know, a lot. You can really have like a, a very approachable like first game or something like that. Like something I, I've thought about adding for Siege of the Castle is like, hey, an option to like, hey, would you like to do a practice round or something like that? Because oftentimes when I'm teaching people a game, like that's something that, um, you know, I often ask the group anyways. And, and but but not only you know having that built in, but you can have. And, and actually I have this in Siege of the Castle, but I actually have like tool tips just, you know, inside the game. So everyone has the the rulings like at their fingertips and they, they can learn as they go. And, and you can make that process a lot more more uh, seamless, I think, for the users.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. You can put that little eye icon, you know, that you click mm-hmm. on. It gives you information about that particular button or that particular thing that's happening in the game. And then for the you know first game, you can have a tutorial and it's got all these pop-up animations. And maybe one person is playing... You know, this is their first game. And so the little pop ups happen for them as they're, you know, as we're all playing, but they don't happen for me. I play the game 10 times. I don't need these pop ups. It's kind of like whenever you download a new program or something like that, or you get an update on some software that you're using, and it has these little tutorial or helpful hint pop ups. And then once you X them all out, they don't show up again. And so now you can maybe all of a sudden do that. And a player can get into a game and learn how to play a game as everyone else is playing they don't have to just sit there and, and try to figure it out. Uh, you can also ask questions in the rule book, you know, directly on your phone or on your device and not tip your hand as far as like what strategy you're going to use to, in for the next turn. Right. Cause I've been in a situation where it's like, well, I'm not entirely sure how this uh, mechanic works in the game. But if I ask anybody, they're going to know that I'm like what I'm about to do. And so I get this kind of interesting thing. It's like this is going to put me at a disadvantage because now they know I'm going to attack them because I just ask how combat works, you know, or something like that. (laughs) So, yeah, just some really interesting advantages uh, that you have. But let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the downsides. Let's talk about some of the cons, some of the disadvantages that you've seen that you've run into for these kinds of games.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have touched on, you know, a few of the big ones already. So I think, I think the biggest one is just like the, the loss of the the tactile feel of board games. I think, you know, for myself included, like it's just, so it's just a completely different feel to just like, you know, be working with a physical board and physical pieces and stuff like that. And it's hard, hard to really, you know, uh, I guess describe exactly what that is, but, but I think that that's a big part of board games and you and you definitely lose that so um in part of like kind of marketing um my game and that's actually one of the, the the next challenges is like it's pretty hard to 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 understand like okay who who am I exactly you know marketing two of these games um in a lot of senses i'm I'm targeting like uh just traditional board game fans but but really it's not it's not gonna connect with with all of them right like it, it's like a, a subset of board game fans that are more open to like a digital medium or maybe uh like the idea of like hey portable games or something like that um so 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 you it's a bit harder to um differentiate your digital game from all of these other uh digital games out there i mean you know in the beginning of the episode we we did talk about like okay there's like the uh board games ported to digital and there's like video games that are kind of like you know board games like you have to you have to Teach basically prospective, you know, customers of like, hey, this is the type of game, you know, on, on that spectrum that 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 it falls. So that that's definitely a challenge that you know you don't have to worry about that with the physical board game because it's like you know, you know, yeah, there's different genres and stuff like that, but they're not a different type of physical, I guess. Um, I think another thing that we haven't touched on um, that is you know pretty pretty notable and and definitely adds to the to the I guess costs of of operations or, or running um, the game is. Uh, you have to worry about bug fixes. You have to worry about like server issues and like maintenance costs related to that. Um, so we, we did describe like, Oh, there's no kind of, you know, zero marginal cost when, you know, producing each unit, but you know, there is, there is a, for a multiplayer game, there is a server cost that has to uh, be where the players, you know, interact with each other and connect with each other. Um, and, and that's, you know, I've tried to build, you know, mobile games as scalable as possible using, you know, my, my knowledge from my, you know, professional, um, career but it's it's not negligible yeah and it's something that you know i i have some anxiety thinking about like oh how is this going to scale if you know the game does suddenly get get popular actually i have a pr- pretty interesting story uh so so someone I, I talked to like who had a digital um game uh he had a really you know popular uh, celebrity like uh, tweet or, or post online about his game and it just brought his service down and it's just like such a loss of all that traffic but that that's something that's it's hard to you know really prepare for like uh i think i think on reddit or some online communities they talk about it like the hug of death like you know your your normal um traffic online is you know like oh let's say thousands of people a day or something like that and then all of a sudden there's like you know a hundred thousand people on and a sudden spike and, and that can totally happen you know on an online uh enabled game and something that you know definitely probably will keep me up at night you know so, uh, along my journey here
0: yeah but i guess that would be a pretty good problem to have that all of a sudden 100,000 people wanted to play your game you know, so like as annoying as that would be, at least, hey, that's good news. You got people wanting to play your game, you know, in that kind of numbers. <laughs> and totally, so it's yeah, totally something, to, <laughs> <laughs> something to not be too upset about. Uh, okay. So, so what else? Anything that we've left out as far as advantages, disadvantages, pros, cons?
2: I think, yeah, I think there's one thing that that is a pretty interesting thing that, um, and maybe I kind of carry it over from maybe some of my tech background, but um, notion of kind of like, you with with digital with the digital medium you can you can release like a mvp or minimum viable product or like a uh a not a non-finished product okay that that doesn't sound quite right but you know like a it doesn't have to be like the final form of the game but with you know a physical board game you know there's a there's so much build up up to that you know kickstarter launch and yeah as you mentioned like if you ever want to kind of change on that you can add expansions or you can print out a second edition but you know, not everyone's going to be happy to, Oh, I now I have to purchase a, a new thing or something like that. So with that kind of iterative development that, that we talked about, um, you can, you can kind of slowly roll out a launch. So you don't have to put all of your eggs in one basket. So uh, personally with, with, uh, MOBO games, like with siege of the castle, we did a, a smaller beta launch. And then I've started to do, you know, some small, like, um, official launches of the game, but that's something I intend to kind of slowly roll out and kind of learn from each, you know, small launch and, 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 and build from there. And I think that's a really, um, that's a really nice uh, benefit to have, I guess, because, because what happens if, you know, you make a mistake on that big initial launch and then now it's like, you know, yeah, I I guess you could, you know, you can like cancel your Kickstarter and then, you know, start over again, but it becomes a, a more common thing to just, it's not not so bad to just here I'll, I'll launch here and then i'll see how that goes and then i'll and then my next launch i'll kind of iterate on top of that and i think that's a that's a huge advantage of the digital uh format
0: right and that's something that video games have been able to enjoy for a long time like we were talking about a little while ago with steam you know you can have an mm-hmm. open access demo basically where people actually pay you you know just come in and, and play test your game effectively and it's only 50 percent done or even less right? But at the same time, you're, you're working out bugs, you're figuring things out, and then you're just uploading changes and updating the code as necessary. And you can do that kind of thing with, with these kinds of games. And I think it's a super uh, interesting thing to think through. Now, let's talk about playtesting a little bit, because this is something I feel like it's got pros and cons uh, as far as doing it in a digital uh, space. But what are you looking at? What are you looking for whenever you're playtesting, one of your games because I feel like there's a lot more going on because not only are you play testing the game and the gameplay and is it fun and does, you know, the game mechanisms work do the game make those work? But now you're also thinking through, okay, are there any bugs, and does this work on the newest iPhone, but also the iPhone 5 that my friend Joe has been carrying around forever? You know, does it work on Android? Does it work on you know different web browsers? Is it working Chrome? Does it work in Safari, Internet Explorer? Like all of a sudden, there's a lot more technical things to be thinking through in your play tests. And so, tell me about that, and, and kind of walk me through different things you're you're looking for, looking at, and maybe things that people don't normally have to deal with. If they're playtesting a traditional board
2: game, yeah, absolutely. That that I think that's a huge thing, and 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 it's it's like with a physical board game, like everyone, you know, generally you're sitting around a single table with a single copy of the game. But with you know digital, there's a lot of factors that can that can cause issues, and and yeah, just with my experience with software, it's like you know it could be the the particular browser that that the person is using, it could be the particular phone that they're using, it could be their internet connection, it could be just. A combination of things like in the game state that led to this edge case that you know caused an issue and only for that one player not not everyone else and i think that can be pretty you know challenging and frustrating um at times um definitely you know your example of the the iphone 5 my my brother was on i think he had the iphone se which had like a tiny screen (laughs) and you know i did mention like uh, it's tough to kind of cram everything in the ui so he would he would run into this issue where you know like Oh, like the words like spilling over into the next line or something like that, and all the buttons are like misaligned and stuff and then you know he's the only one with that problem um, so it can be pretty um, it can be overwhelming at times, just like oh like thinking through all of all of those things um I guess one one way you can definitely mitigate that you know in software is like with automated tests and stuff like that that's something we, we I do at you know at my work um, which can help you know prevent some of that you're never going to prevent all of them. So yeah, like when you're playtesting, you, you kind of, not only is it the the, the game mechanics, but yeah, the, you, you do have to be mindful uh, and, and record down all of those bugs. And generally when you record those bugs, you have to, okay, what, what browser, what phone do you have? And I've asked that question you know many times.
0: Gotcha. And so what are you looking for when you're playtesting a game? So you've, you know, you've got the latest version of Siege, the, Siege of the Castle and you get all your friends together in the room and everybody gets on their phone and they're playing the game. What are you watching? What are you looking at? What are you trying to see, especially when it comes to things that maybe are a little bit different for this digital type of game as opposed to a traditional board game?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that that's a great question. I think I think one of the the main things that I've kind of been focusing on, you know, as of late at least, is just like how how engaged the, the people are in with the game. And I think it's because people are on their phone. There's just so much more distractions. You just just at hand. So like you know, they could get a notification, and they could you know step out out of the game and, and stuff like that. So uh, I try to look for like what can I do? Like what are areas where I'm noticing people kind of get distracted, or maybe they're 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 bored while they're uh, you know kind of waiting for for uh, something to happen or, or, or something like that. So um, I look for areas of like. Um, let's see when someone's you, like, you can kind of tell when someone's like browsing something else on their phone. So that's something I'm, you know, really sensitive of, sensitive of to see like, Hey, like what could I do to, to, to increase that? So, so one of the mechanics that, you know, I added uh, recently to, to try and make it more engaging was, uh, I added like a level up mechanic in the game. So, um, that actually will give people something to do well, you know, maybe there, there's a little bit of downtime in between there's more for them to explore within the game. Um, rather than like, oh, like, you know, check in check another app or something like that. I, I think that that will ultimately depend on, you know, the, the play group. But um, it, it also depends on, like, the different type of players. So, um, like I mentioned, um, I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap between a more casual gamer and then also like a more board game fan. Uh, and it's trying to look, you know, it's kind of identifying those people in in the group and trying to see like hey, does this is this is this mechanic working for, you know, both types? And, you know, it oftentimes, you know, maybe more traditional board game fans are going to be more into certain mechanics versus the other and and that's something I have to keep in mind because I want to strike that right balance because those are the type of like group textures that I want to appeal to is like hey, like you don't all have to be the, you know, into the same type of games. This can be kind of a a I don't know if gateway game is the right word, but, but essentially, yeah, something along those lines.
0: Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. Justin, this has been great. You have any closing thoughts for someone, maybe they're listening to this thing and, you know, I could, I could design one of these things or maybe I never thought about it before. Maybe this is something I need to look into. What would you tell them?
2: I would say uh, there's just a ton of great resources online. Like take, take advantage of those. I mean, if you're already listening to this podcast, then, you know, you're, you're already at a good start there. Um, but just just don't be afraid to you know reach out and and ask questions to people online that's something that you know I've I've done uh and and don't feel like discouraged i guess like you know if if things feel like it, it's it's too much i think taking small incremental steps you know let's say you want to build a you know your your dream game and and that's something i've kind of wrestled with in the past as well as like you, you have this grand vision of a game and it's like, how am I ever going to achieve that? But, but I think what, what has helped me is just like, okay, like narrowing it down from there and just starting small and, and and starting with a, you know, a really simple game design prove to yourself like, Hey, I can, I can do this. I can launch this and then, and then work your way up from there and just kind of, you know, balance risks there. I think like, don't, don't put all of your eggs in one giant you know game in one giant launch. And then if it's your first time doing it, you know, it's going to be harder to, to achieve like, very ambitious success there so so I would say like use a you know stair step approach and and kind of build your way up
0: awesome justin this has been great you've got a couple of digital games on the market right now we talked a little bit about them but uh, give me like the elevator pitch for what you know you've designed and uh, also tell folks where they can find them
2: yeah so you can you can check out uh, all of my games for mobo games at uh gomobo.app so g o m o b o.app and yeah, so our first game is Siege of the Castle. It's a three to six player fast-paced strategy game, um, and as I mentioned, it's it's perfect for kind of that group that is, hey, like you know, a bunch of friends, and maybe some of them are into you know board games, some of them are into more maybe more casual games, or if you you know if you're a fan of Jackbox games but you've wanted you know more strategy games, this is a, a great fit for you. Um, super fast-paced; it's simultaneous turns, so there's very little downtime. And it's really easy to just pick up and learn and play, and and that kind of like low friction, um, very accessible nature is something that I really really wanted to to tackle with with Siege the Castle. And then if you know maybe Siege the Castle is not the game for you, or or if you want even more, like uh, I do already have a second game that's getting close to beta launch. It's called Space Colonies. It's a it's a two player kind of strategy game and. You take your spaceships and you're kind of uh, colonizing planets and you're kind of doing it in a duel of wits. And, and there's this uh, pretty cool wager mechanic um, on how you capture planets when you're competing against uh, your opponent. And what I think is really cool is uh, there's a procedural generation of the, the planets that come off. So imagine like cards off the top of the deck, but you know they're, they're generated planets that are going to be different each time. Um, so yeah, if, if any of those sound good to you, um, yeah, check it out at gomobile.app. And I do plan on adding, you know, even more games to the collection, you know, as, as, as time goes on.
0: Very cool. Well, Justin, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with your digital games and everything else you got going on right now.
2: Thanks, Gabe. This has been great.
1: Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing.